This morning we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be looking at some, uh, a few different places in Scripture, but our, our uh, Corinthian passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Uh, today we're looking at the biblical grounds for divorce. Now divorce is a major issue in our culture. Um, since the institution of no-fault divorce, the divorce rate in America has doubled, as we talked about last week. The United States divorce rate is somewhere between 40 and 50 percent. Uh, it's a little bit better among active Christians. Uh, active Christians, that, are, that is those who come to church regularly, go to church regularly, uh, participate in church activities. Uh, the divorce rate among active Christians is somewhere around 38 percent. So slightly better, but still quite high when compared to what it was before no-fault divorce came into play. But whether you experience divorce personally or you have a loved one who has experienced divorce, we are all affected by divorce in some way. It affects all of us. So as we look at Scripture and what Scripture says about divorce, we all need to understand what's at stake. We need to under, understand what's uh, at play here and what are the biblical grounds for divorce because uh, we all, whether we're personally affected by it or we have a loved one affected by it, we may have to give counsel for, for somebody who is looking at divorce. And so what do we tell them? Well, we need to tell them what the Bible says about divorce. And so as Christians, we all need to be informed about that. Whether you are considering it or you're happily married, you still need to understand what it is uh, the Bible says about divorce so that you can give counsel to others. So today we are looking at what Scripture says about divorce. And I want to show you what the Bible says are the biblical grounds for divorce. What warrants divorce according to Scripture? Because in God's book, there is no such thing as no-fault divorce. Uh, there must be something there. There must be something wrong. So what we see in Scripture is this. The biblical grounds for divorce is covenantal unfaithfulness. The biblical grounds for divorce is covenantal unfaithfulness. Now, as you consider that overarching kind of principle there, there are three breaches of marriage to the covenant of marriage, three breaches of the, the marriage covenant that warrant divorce according to what we see in Scripture. So I want to see, see those today. We're going to look at those and consider those today. Now, last week we saw that Christians should share God's high view of, of marriage and low view of divorce. So divorce should never be for a Christian, the, the first instinct, Preser preservation of the marriage should always be, we as Christians, that should always be our first instinct. What can we do to preserve marriage? Uh, our greatest desire should be that. Divorce should always be, always be the course of very last resort. When there's no other way, then divorce is, may come into play. With that in mind, let us consider then the three breaches of the marriage covenant which warrant divorce. And with that, we're going to start where we ended last week back in Matthew chapter 19. 
because Jesus covers the first ground for biblical divorce. So we're going to look at what Jesus says first, and then we're going to go back to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 10 through 16. So as we look at this, then the first biblical ground for divorce is sexual immorality. Divorce is warranted in cases of sexual immorality. Divorce is warranted in cases of sexual immorality. Uh, look there again in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And Jesus said, remember, Jesus laid the ground that, that marriage is the priority and it should be preserved. But then he gives this exception there at the end. And he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Whoever, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So uh, it's a sin to get married or to uh, divorce for other reasons other than covenantal unfaithfulness and marry another, Jesus says. So Jesus provides this one exception. Now notice what he says there. It is sexual immorality. It is sexual immorality. That is, it's a broader term. It's not just adultery. Some look at this and they would translate this as adultery, sexual immorality as adultery. But that's not the only case here. Uh, he, he gives a little bit broader of a view here that that. Divorce is warranted in cases of sexual immorality. In fact, he, he uses adultery at there at the end of it. So if he wanted to say that uh, divorce is warranted under for adultery, he could have just said adultery. But here he says sexual immorality. That is any kind of, of, of sexual sin that will break the covenant of marriage. So that's a little bit broader. Uh, adultery, of course, factors in there. But you, you could also think about uh, severe cases of pornography addiction and those types of things. Uh, sexual sin that breaks the marriage covenant. So Jesus says any kind of sexual sin that breaks the marriage covenant uh, warrants divorce. Now I want you to notice there though, and remember this from last week, that divorce is warranted for sexual immorality. It's warranted for sexual immorality. It's not mandated. You see, that's what the Pharisees back up in, in verses 1 through 8, that's what they thought. They, they presumed that uh, if it was sexual sin, especially if it's sexual sin, it was a must, it was a commandment that a man or a woman divorce their spouse in cases of sexual immorality. But Jesus takes that commandment off. The, he says, no, that's a, a concession it's a concession. Divorce is a concession because of sin. But divorce was never God's intention in the beginning. God's intention is for a husband and wife to remain married, one man, one woman, for a lifetime. And so because of sin, there's a concession, an exception. It's allowed, but it's not mandated. In fact, Jesus opens up the possibility that even in the case of sexual immorality, even in the case of adultery, there may be forgiveness. There may be the pursuit of maintaining and preserving the marriage, even in those instances. Uh, there's a man who dearly loves his wife. 
He loves her and cares for her. He does everything to make sure she has all her needs taken care of. He dearly, dearly loves his wife. But his wife is unfaithful. Constantly unfaithful. Uh, she runs around all over, all over town. Uh, she runs around on her husband and she, she gives her affections, affections that should be reserved for her husband. She willingly gives those affections to others. This man has every right to divorce his wife, to leave her for her adultery. Yet time and time again, this man takes his wife back in, forgives her, loves her, and renews her in that relationship. That man is Jesus Christ, and his bride is the church. How, how often do we as Christians give our affections, affections that should be reserved for Christ alone, how often do we give our affections to other things, to other people, to material possessions, to careers, to hobbies, affections that we should only be giving to Jesus, allegiances, allegiances that we should only be giving to Jesus. That's adultery. That is breaking the covenant that we have with Christ, yet Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our adultery against Him. How much more then ought we to be willing to forgive those who sin against us, even our spouse, who may have committed adultery against us? There is that possibility for forgiveness and renewal in the, in the marriage covenant, even in cases of adultery. Now, if adultery continues on, and uh, there's no end to it, then Jesus allows that opportunity. It is warranted. It is allowed in cases of, of gross sexual immorality where the person has no willingness to, to uh, be forgiven, has no willingness to abandon those types of relationships. Let me tell you, if you're in a relationship and your spouse is, is continually seeking relationships and, with other people and, and you fear contracting a sexually transmitted disease, then according to Scripture, there's a warrant for divorce there. But remember, it's a last resort. It's a last resort. When all other efforts have failed, then it is warranted. Divorce is warranted in that case. So the breach, warrant, uh, divorce is warranted in cases of sexual immorality. Second, a second breach of the marriage covenant that warrants uh, divorce is what Paul tells us then in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, and we're going down to verses 12, 10 and 11. You remember that was kind of threw us back into Matthew 19 last week. And in, in 10 and 11, he's talking to the married, those who are, are married Christians. So husband and wife are both Christians. And he said up there in verses 10, uh, he said to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. And remember, he was pointing back to the specific teaching of Jesus during his life and ministry. That's why we went, went back to Matthew chapter 19. 
He says the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. That is, if they were seeking to be uh, separated for some offense or, or even, uh, you, you remember we talked about last week, they had some of them who were, uh, they, they thought you shouldn't have sexual relationships even within marriage. And so they were separating because of that. And Paul says, if you're going to separate because of that, uh, then you don't get remarried. You stay separated. Otherwise, you be reconciled to your husband. You re be reconciled to your spouse. The husband, he goes on there, should not divorce his wife. So uh, no fault divorce is off the table. Uh, there has to be a biblical ground for divorce. Otherwise, you remain together. Verse 12, then we pick up. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Now, Paul is recognizing here. He's not just saying this is my opinion. He is saying, I, as an apostle of Jesus Christ and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you this. Jesus gave the exception of sexual immorality. And now Paul uh, and he gave that exception because that was the context he was in. That was the question at hand. He didn't cover everything that there, there was to be learned about marriage and divorce. Jesus didn't, didn't cover everything that there was to be learned about marriage and divorce in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Paul is then saying, well, here's some more. Here's another occurrence. Here, here's another situation that we need to talk about. And so he is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is going to give us another exception for divorce, another biblical ground for divorce. So I, not the Lord, I say this, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever. So here's the situation. Here's the situation you have now before in verses 10, 11, it was two believers who were married. And they were wanting to separate for whatever reason. Paul says, no, you need to stay together. You need to stay married. Now you have another situation. You have a believer who is married to an unbeliever. And, and now there's this, this desire to, to separate, to dissolve the marriage, to divorce. And so Paul is going to speak into this new situation. Now, we know that in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul does give the advice that believers are not to be yoked with unbelievers. Y'all remember that, right? Uh, you're not to be yoked with an unbeliever. And so we have it in, in, in that instance when you have two people, one's a believer, one's an, a non-believer, and they're thinking about getting married. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. What, what business does an unbeliever have with an, a believer? There, there's a conflict of interest there. There's a conflict in worldviews. And that's great advice for us today. And, and young believers, uh, young Christians, uh, single Christians, if you're out there and you're listening in today, if you're looking at entering into a relationship with a person who is a non-believer, don't do that. Don't do that. You're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. You're setting yourself up for conflict. I mean, think about it. As a believer, you are coming into a, a relationship with a Christian worldview. And if you come into a relationship with a non-believer who is bringing in a secular worldview, you're already at conflict with one another. That's like 
oil and water. They don't mix. They don't mix. And so when an unbeliever and a believer marry, when they come into the covenant of marriage together, they're building their relationship, their marriage on conflict. On two different worldviews. And that's not going to be good. There's going to be arguments. There are going to be fights. There are going to be more conflict because of different worldviews. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't enter into a relationship with a non-believer, Christian. It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Instead, build your marriage relationship on unity in Christ. That's where you need to start every time. Don't think you're going to save that young man or that young woman by dating her. Don't think that's going to happen. No, you witness to them. You, you tell them about Jesus. And if they become a believer, praise God for that. But don't enter into a relationship with a non-believer. It's just asking for trouble. But here we have another situation, a different situation. You see, now it's not an, a, a, a believer who married a non-believer. What you have is, here's these two folks who, who both used to be pagans and they were married together. And then Paul comes through in Corinth and he preaches the gospel and one spouse becomes a believer in Jesus Christ while the other spouse remains a pagan. Now what do you do? Now what do you do? Now there's a conflict of interest uh, between believer and non-believer. It, it wasn't there. It's not like they came together uh, with those in, in already established, but now they were married and one becomes a believer. One is converted and the other is not. Notice what he says. Uh, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, she should, he should not divorce her. If any, man, any woman is a, has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he, she should not divorce him. So here is this conflict between the believer and the non-believer. They have different worldviews. And they have this kind of idea kind of floating around even in the church. Well, you know, you can't mix paganism with Christianity. I mean, you go back to the Old Testament, and according to God's law in the Old Testament, Jews were not supposed to marry Gentiles. Otherwise, the Jew would be defiled. And so now you have some people in this church in Corinth, they're, they're, they're reading that scripture and they're taking that scripture and say, wait a minute, now I'm married to Joe, and Joe is a, he's a pagan. He, he worships down at the temple of Artemis, and, and, and I'm, I'm a believer. I'm purified in Christ Jesus. If I stay married, am I defiled? And so now you have some believers, some Christians who are thinking, maybe I should divorce Joe because he's not a believer. He's a pagan. If I don't, I might be defiled. And so Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Divorce is not warranted in that situation. If Joe is all right with you being a Christian... And, and they consent to, to stay married. If, you, if that unbelieving spouse consents to stay married, Paul says, stay married. 
Stay married because marriage is that important. We should have a high view of marriage and we should work to preserve marriage at all costs. Marriage comes first. And so Paul says, stay married. Yeah, you got some conflicting views here. And yeah, you are not going to see eye to eye because you've got the Christian worldview. They've got a pagan or secularist worldview and, and you're, you're going to clash. But nevertheless, work it out the best you can. And if that unbelieving spouse is willing to stay married, hey, work it out. Do what you can to work it out. Marriage is not warranted in that case. Work it out. Stay together. Preserve the marriage. And he goes on there in, in verse 14, we're going we're gonna to look at next week as we look at the benefits of staying married. So I'm just going to read over it. But note, we are coming back to it next week. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. God has called you to peace. And so in this case, Paul gives the second, the second ground for biblical divorce, and that is abandonment. Abandonment. If the unbelieving spouse says, I'm not willing to do this, I'm not willing to stay in, in this relationship, then the believer is, is free. They're free from the marriage relationship. They're free to, to enter into divorce. The, the, the unbelieving spouse has asked for divorce. It's the unbelieving spouse who's pursuing divorce. They're abandoning the relationship. Paul says there's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do about that. You're free from that situation. And that was taking place in the first century. You had some pagans, old Joe there, who's, who's going down to the temple of Artemis and, and worshiping, you know, every week. And, and all the guys down there at the, the temple are saying, hey, hey, where's Sue? Where's your wife, Sue? Well, she used to come with you every week and now she's not coming with you. What's up with that? And oh, she became a believer. And, and there was kind of some, you know, kind of looked down upon by the other pagans. And so you had some of the non-believers who were seeking divorce, seeking to be separated from their Christian spouse because, hey, we didn't come together like this. We, we came together. We were both worshiping Artemis or, or Zeus or whoever. And so they were seeking separation. And Paul says in those cases, you're free. You're free. God has called you to peace. Now, that's important for us to understand and know because I've seen some some spouses, some Christian spouses who have suffered over that. They had a, an unbelieving spouse or a spouse who, who, who abandoned the relationship and they, they beat themselves up over that. What, what could I have done differently? What could I have done differently? Maybe I could, if I'd have said this or maybe if I'd have done that, then, then maybe he would have stayed. Maybe she would have stayed. What did I do wrong? And Paul says, you're free. You're free. Don't beat yourself over, up over that. You're not 
You're not to be guilty. You're not to feel the guilt over your spouse's decision to leave the relationship. You're free from that guilt. Christ has called you to peace. You don't have to beat yourself up over your spouse's uh, response, your spouse's action. If your spouse seeks divorce, if your spouse abandons a relationship, you're free. God has called you to peace. So we see here then that marriage is a two-way street. Marriage is a two-way street. And, and if you find yourself married to a non-believer or if you find yourself married to a person who you thought was a believer and they're just not acting like a believer and they abandon the relationship, they have broken the covenant of marriage. They have broken the covenant of marriage. Uh, they have broken the, the, the covenantal commitment to leave and cleave. And to hold fast, right? They've broken that covenantal commitment. And so now Paul says, you're free. They have abandoned the covenant. They have broken the covenant of marriage. And so you're free. That, that is a breach of the covenant, the marriage covenant. So you're free from that. So divorce is warranted in cases of of sexual immorality under the one flesh clause. They have broken the one flesh clause and joined themselves with another. They, the uh, divorce is warranted under the, uh, in cases of abandonment because they have uh, broken the leave and cleave clause and you are free to marry another. So divorce is warranted under those two conditions. And then third, Divorce is warranted in cases of abuse. Divorce is warranted in cases of abuse. And I'll, I'll admit the first two are implicit. We can see those are not implicit. They are explicit in Scripture. All right? We see those commandments plainly and clearly. We see those exceptions plainly and clearly. Jesus says, except for in the case of sexual immorality, Paul says, if your spouse abandons the relationship, they break the covenant and abandon a relationship, you're excused in those, those cases, you're free, you're no guilt in that case. But uh, then we get to this concept of abuse. And, and that's a big issue, and we've seen it. It's come to, to light, especially here in the last few uh, years. We've seen a lot of this coming about because there's been a lot of uh, of different ideas because the Bible doesn't explicitly cover abuse. Is, the, uh, is abuse a, a biblical ground for divorce? And I've even heard of, of pastors who have given counsel uh, to abuse spouses to stay in those relationships because the Bible doesn't explicitly cover that as a, a ground for divorce. But as we look in Scripture, and we read Scripture and we understand that divorce is, the biblical ground for divorce is covenantal unfaithfulness. And we look at other places in Scripture and see what Scripture says about how uh, a spouse should relate to the body of another. I think we can see that abuse would be a third biblical ground for divorce. And let me show you this by turning to... Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now remember, sexual immorality breaks the covenant of marriage. 
because it breaks the commitment of one flesh, the one flesh commitment. A spouse breaks the one flesh commitment by becoming one flesh with another person, by uniting themselves with another person. The covenant has been broken and divorce is warranted. In the cases of abandonment, the covenantal commitment of leaving and cleaving, leaving and holding fast to your spouse has been broken. It's been abandoned. They're no longer cleaving. They're no longer holding fast. They left the relationship. So divorce is warranted. As we see here in Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 25 through 31, we see here that abuse is a breach of the one flesh commitment. Abuse will be, would be a breach of the one flesh commitment. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now that's our model, husbands, of being a biblical husband, being like Christ, giving ourselves to our wives, providing for them, being spiritual leaders to build them up in holiness. Notice what it says in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Did you notice that? Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourished and cherished it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And then notice what Paul does here. Verse 31, he brings back, he, he emphasizes, he builds this off of the marriage covenant. 31, therefore, he's quoting Genesis chapter 2, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so Paul says that a husband is to love his wife as his own flesh. He is to nourish her and cherish her as his own flesh. And he says this is in response to, this is an outworking of, this is a, a fulfillment of the marriage covenant to leave and cleave, to hold fast and become one flesh. Therefore, abuse is a breach of the one flesh commitment. It's a breach of the one flesh commitment. If a husband or a wife abuses their spouse, they're not treating their spouse as their own flesh. They're not nourishing and cherishing. No, they're, they're acting out against that person, their spouse. 
They are breaking the one flesh commitment. And by breaking the one flesh commitment, divorce then is warranted. In the United States, 20 people are victims of domestic violence every minute. 20 people, 20 people are abused every minute of every day here in the United States. One in three women and one in four men will be victims of domestic violence in their lifetime. So it's not just uh, a crime against women. One in three women and one in three and one in four men will be victims of domestic violence in their lifetime. One in seven women and one in 18 men are severely injured by their intimate partner in their lifetime. Severely injured. A hospital visit. A cast put on. Stitches uh, put on. One in seven women, one in 18 men severely injured by their intimate partner. Domestic violence accounts for almost 50% of female murders. Nearly half of the women who are murdered are murdered due to domestic violence. They're murdered by their intimate partner. Domestic violence is a, a severe problem in the United States. And let me just say, if you're in an abusive relationship, get out. Get out. Do not stay in that situation. Get out of there. Do it before you end up at the, the hospital. Do it before you, you find yourself severely injured. Oh, he didn't mean it. Oh, she didn't mean it. Yes, they did. Get out. Do not leave yourself in an abusive relationship and in an abusive environment. Don't leave your children in an abusive environment. Get out. At the very least, get out until that person, that spouse, gets help. Seeks professional counseling to, to overcome their, their violent tendencies. If they get help, then, then maybe the relationship can, can be worked out. But if they refuse to get help, the biblical warrant is for you to get a divorce. You can leave that situation. You never, ever, ever should stay in an abusive situation. Don't put your life on the line. Don't allow yourself to be abused by anybody. Get out of that situation. In those cases, divorce is warranted. Get out of that situation. As we look then, divorce is warranted in cases of, of sexual immorality, abandonment, and abuse. Now, as we think about these things from a Christian worldview perspective, we should always remember that divorce is absolutely the last resort in every case. Divorce should always be the last resort. God loves marriage and He hates divorce. And as His children, as His people, so should we. 
We should despise divorce and, and not seek divorce if, if at all possible we can work things out. But because of sin, God allows for divorce. He allows for it in cases of, of covenantal unfaithfulness for sexual immorality, abandonment, and abuse. That is, divorce for any other reason is sin. Now, perhaps, and I know that there are those who are out there, and you're saying, well, I, I see those three reasons, I, but I didn't get divorced for that reason. What do I do? I've been divorced, and maybe it was a no-fault divorce, and, and now I'm married to another person, or my spouse is married to another person. What do I do? What, what hope is there for me? There's always forgiveness in Christ Jesus. You sinned, yes, you sinned. Let's just be blunt about it. You sinned against God by breaking your covenant vow. But in Christ Jesus, there's always forgiveness. His blood covers every sin, even an unbiblical divorce. His blood covers every sin, and you can be forgiven in Him. You can be freed from the guilt, your guilt in Him. Don't live in guilt. Don't live in shame. Seek Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. Now, maybe today you're suffering under some other sin. Whatever sin you may be suffering under, whatever sin you may feel ashamed of today, I want you to know, dear friend, that there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. He died on the cross to forgive you from all of your sins. The only sin that is not covered by the blood of Jesus is the sin of unbelief. Believe in Jesus. He will forgive you and He will save you. He died for you so that He might forgive you if you'll just trust in Him today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a, a tough subject because we don't want to talk about divorce and, and those types of things, Lord, just conflict. Uh, it's not fun to talk about, but Lord, Your Word covers it, and we're thankful that You give us guidance in this. Well, we realize that divorce is a, a consequence of the fall. It's a consequence of sin. And, and even though, Lord, it was never your intention, Lord, you love us and you, you give some guidance when sin comes in to break up a marriage. You give us guidance in how to handle that. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I just pray that we would be obedient to your word. Lord, in those cases where people are just, maybe they're just, they just don't feel as happy as they think they should feel and, and they want to get out of a marriage. Lord, let them know your love. Let them know your grace. And give them the courage to commit to your biblical standard of marriage. And stay and persevere and preserve the marriage relationship. Lord, in those cases where it's out of out of that person's hands. They've tried everything, but it comes down to one of these three biblical grounds and, and divorce is their last hope. And Lord, let them find peace in that. Now, Lord, I just pray that you would work with our hearts today. Touch hearts and minds.
Lord, if there's anybody who doesn't trust in Jesus, hasn't trusted in Jesus, Lord, today, let them know your love and grace. Let them turn to Jesus today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.